Praise the Lord. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. The title of my sermon is The Narrow Way. What comes to your mind when you think of narrow way? Sometimes it's better when you approach the Word of God just to not have any preconceived notions. You know, we may have heard this scripture before and we have an idea already and maybe it's a good idea, but let's try to really focus on what God's trying to tell us for today. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13. I'm not going to find that in Mark. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate. Can you picture that in your mind? He wants you to actually enter through a really narrow gate. Have you ever been through a narrow door? Like so narrow that you really... Um, you have to actually squeeze through it and you barely can get through that door. We don't have many of those doors, right? But maybe that door is just big enough for the shape of your body to fit through and that's it. This is a very narrow door. And he's trying to stress the fact that this door is very, very narrow. And he wants you to enter through the narrow door. All right? You say, well, maybe for somebody it's narrow, but other people I can get through real easy. No. Everybody, is what he's insinuating here, is going to have to go through the one that only you are able to get through with nothing else. And he says, enter through the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. So he's actually saying there's another gate. But this gate is so wide that literally everybody can go through that and carry anything they want with it. If I had carried a semi behind me and and I were the driver of a semi truck, I could probably take it through the broad gate. It really is nothing that I have to do to get through the gate because it's broad. It's really stressing that there's another gate and it's very big. Okay? And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So do you notice there's a gate and then there's a way or a road. So not only I have to squeeze through the narrow gate, but also there's a road that I have to follow after I get through the gate. One is narrow and the road by its nature, is hard to find. The other one is wide, and you really don't even have to look for it. Everybody's kind of going that way, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for your anointing, Lord. Oh, Father, take away the man, Lord God. You said you made your ministers like a flame of fire, Lord. Oh, Father, you said that your spirit, Lord, will speak mysteries, Lord God, of men's hearts, Lord God, that you'll separate hearts. And Lord, you'll, you'll tell the secrets of the heart, Lord, and people will know of a surety that God's in the house. Lord, prophesy through this message, Lord. Speak to hearts, Lord God. Change lives, Lord. 
your name I pray, Lord Jesus, everybody says. Amen. Hallelujah. How many have ever heard of the uh, book, very old classic called Pilgrim's Progress? And Pil- Pilgrim's Progress is what's considered, the, the genre is, it is an allegory of the Christian life. Allegory means he's telling a story about people and he's trying to really explain deeper points of the Bible story by examples of somebody living their life. So in his story, the main character is a person named Christian. Now John Bunyan is the one that wrote it. It's a many, many century old book and a classic in Christian literature. And John Bunyan does a really good job of making sure you don't mistake what his allegories stand for. The names are very direct in what he, what he talks about, you know. And for instance, uh, Christian is the main character and the story is literally about the Christian life and trying to make you understand how to live the Christian life. And J- Christian starts off and he lives in a city called the City of Destruction. Okay, he lives in a city that literally is going to be destroyed, and it's called the city of destruction. Okay, now follow along with this because it's easy to understand his allegory here. What he's saying is that we live in a world that is bound for destruction. Like, very clearly, you know, we need salvation, we need to be saved, we need to be helped to go from this world to the world God has prepared for us. And Jesus seems to be saying here that only a few will find salvation. That many will go down a broad road and will ignore his uh, offer, but there will be those who choose to go through the narrow gate. And so my goal today is to make sure you know that there are two destinies in your life. Two destinies to go. Well, Christian, he's living in this city. He picks up a book, uh, which is symbolic of the Bible. And that book says, hey, your city is going to be destroyed. And it's going to be destroyed because of uh, uh, sin. And so he's greatly distressed. In fact, it talks about him having a weight on his shoulders. And the weight was very heavy because he had read the book. And the book told him the condemnation of his sin was going to cause the great destruction of the city he grew up in. And so now he was trying to find a remedy to his problem. Now because he knew he had a heaviness on his back, a burden that he didn't know how to get rid of, and he had a city that he needed to leave. And he didn't know where to go. And so he runs into a man... And this is just how easy John Bunyan makes it. A man by the name of Evangelist. (laughs) I just like the way he does it. I'm not a big allegory guy. Okay, I'm kind of like, just tell me. But when John Bunyan makes it so easy, it's almost not allegory. Okay, he makes it very simple. So he runs into a man by the name of Evangelist. And Evangelist says, hey, you need to go to a simple little wooden gate. It's nothing spectacular. It's called the wicket gate. 
And when you find that wicked gate, they will actually explain to you how to get rid of the burden of sin that's on your back. And so he begins to make the journey, and on his way to go find this simple little gate, um, family and friends begin to mock him. And suddenly his life becomes kind of hard. And on his way to go find the gate that's going to get rid of this burden that he's trying to carry. He's heavy with a burden now. And on his way, he runs into a place called the Slough of Despondency. Okay? And despondency means that I just give up. You know, that I've lost my spirit to fight. I've lost my spirit to pursue. And it's a mud pit. And so he's in this pit, and and the problem is he's... um, Stressed, he's questioning evangelist advice, and he, he the pit's worse because of the burden that's on him. He's got a weight on his back, so he's really struggling in this pit. And um, so finally, he finds a way to get out of the pit, and he's cleaning all the mud off of him. And um, what ends up happening toward the end, just to tell you, just a spoiler here. I can spoil a you know hundreds of year old book, right? You're not going to go home and read it and be mad at me, right? He ends up finding this place that evangelists told him about, and when the door is open, it leads him to the cross of Christ, and he ends up unburdening the sin and finding the place to remove the burden and the condemnation and finds salvation. Okay, but until then, there's this journey in the middle. And so he's cleaning the mud off of him, and he runs into this man called Worldly Wise Man. Told you it's easy. Worldly wise man sees him being mocked, muddy, kind of frustrated, and he's cleaning the mud off of him. And worldly wise man came up. How many have ever known somebody named worldly wise man? Okay. And he said, hey, look, um, I'm older than you, so listen to what I'm saying. And worldly wise man said, "What what are you doing? And you got this mud, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't really want to talk in old English. Okay, that's a good way to get people to fall asleep, old English. Um, But he says, what are you doing? He says, well, evangelist told me that I need to find a place to unburden the sin and condemnation that I feel on my back. And he said, the only way is to go to this simple gate, which leads to Christ and the unburdening of sin. And worldly wise man said, man, what he told you is a terrible thing. He said, he's opened you up to like the worst thing because you're going to have to deal with, you know, all kinds. He's, he's given you the most troublesome road that he could have given you. You know, people are going to mock you and, you know, people are going and, and you're going to have to deal with all kinds of uh, perils if you go down that road. And worldly wise man I just like saying that. It's a cool name. Because a lot of you know Worldly Wise Man and you know who I'm talking about, okay? Worldly Wise Man says, no, you know, there's an easier way. And Worldly Wise Man told him, the road that you've chosen is a hard, much harder road. There's an easier road. And this road is paved. You know, it's paved and it's easy to walk and and he said, well, what's it called? He said, he, well, take care of my problem of, of, of the weight on my back. 
He said, oh yeah, he said, the one I'm going to send you on, many people have tried it and it'll work for you. It's good works. Worldly wise men said, go down the road of good works. Because here's the thing about good works if you go down this road. People will love you. They'll respect you. You'll still be an intellectual. You'll still be able to keep a lot of your ideas and opinions. Just do good works and you can avoid this whole messy road that evangelists put you on. Now remember, the road that he's going to is leading to the cross and the removal of sin and this narrow road that Jesus is talking about that we should take. But he just, you know, he's thinking within himself. Remember, Proverbs says there's a way that seems wise unto a man, but that way leads to destruction. And worldly wise man is sending him down a road that sounds like the right road. How many know that a lot of us think that's the road? Do good deeds, keep my old life, you know, keep the respect of people, smooth paved road. And I'm going to tell you something, there's millions and millions, there's masses on that road. You can drive a tractor trailer down that road. And there's all kinds of people that believe they're going to heaven because they've done good works. So he follows down this road all the way to its end. And when he gets to the end of this road, he comes to Mount Sinai. And when he finds Mount Sinai, how many don't mind me telling an allegory? He gets to Mount Sinai, and that's the place where the Ten Commandments were given. And it's a scary place. It's a place that when the people tried to approach it in Exodus, uh, there's lightning and rumblings and thunder and fire on the mountain, and God is speaking on the mountain, and they're saying, Moses can go up there, but we won't. So he finds the same thing. He gets to the mountain of the Ten Commandments. He gets to Mount Sinai. It's following the path of good works and obeying the law. And he looks at that mountain, and he's finally arrived took the advice of worldly wise man. And so he stands at the mountain and he notices there's no way I can even climb that mountain. That mountain's so steep, you can't climb it. And that mountain's scary because God's on top of it and he's demanding that I keep it and I can't keep it. There's lightning, there's thunder, there's fear. There is... um, Stones falling from the mountain. I mean, oh, if you disobey the law, there's a good chance you could be stoned. And so he's looking at that mountain and he's saying, I can never climb that mountain. And some people go their whole life on that path. And they never get to the place where he's at where they realize, I don't have enough righteousness to be right with God still. The condemnation wasn't taken away. Do you understand now why we can't do it by the law? And so now he feels like, how, how would you like that? And this is my job as a, as a preacher of the truth. How would you like to get to the judgment seat one day and I don't tell you that? How would you like to go your whole life in one of these churches that don't preach the truth and, and, and you're just doing good works. You're like, well, Chad, I, I take communion. I said a sinner's prayer. 
Chad, I, I, I uh, give to the poor. I do all these things. And, and then the Bible says, didn't you hear when I said, I did this, I did that. And he says, go away from me. I don't even know you. They were saying they did all these wonderful things for God. And God's saying, no, there's only one way. There's only one acceptable path that God says that he will accept. And Jesus is explaining it here and in many, many places in his ministry. And we've got to preach the truth. If I don't preach the truth, I haven't adequately prepared you to be in God's judgment. Because it's going to happen really soon and it's going to happen really quickly. When it happens, there's no turning back. When Jesus says something... He means it and he's not going to revoke what he says. He can't because he cannot lie. So I'm going to try today to explain what you're going to run into when we stand face to face with Jesus Christ. And if any loving pastor cares about his sheep, he'll tell you the truth. Okay, no, tell me flowery things, Chad. Tell me things that I want to... No, I can't do that. I've got to prepare everybody in this church to be before Jesus Christ, because today could be somebody's day. How many know that to be true? So Jesus, um, this, this, back to my allegory. He goes to this mountain and he feels cheated. Worldly wise man, surprisingly enough, worldly wise man was wrong. All right? And that's the wisdom of the world, right? They don't know the ways of God. The Bible Clearly says that. So right at the moment of despair, when he realizes he made the wrong decision and went down the wrong path, this is the wide path. He said, I thought the wide path was all wicked. Woo. The wide path is every wrong way. There are many ways to go down the wrong path. How many know that's true? Many paths to go to destruction. One narrow path to life. I thought there were many ways to life and many ways to heaven. Jesus doesn't say that. He says it's narrow knowing that it would be a road that uh, people would say is very, that's very narrow that you believe like that. Jesus was admitting it. But he's saying that's how it is. That's how the scriptures revealed the Messiah from the beginning to the end. That this narrow path is the only way to life and we have to take it. And so Christian is standing there pondering this mountain. And while he's there, evangelist pops up again. You just got to love the way evangelist just pops up. Church, I come to you today as an evangelist. I come to you to preach the gospel that will save your life. And if it's rejected, we'll also condemn Now, how many know God doesn't want to condemn anybody? He wants all to be saved. But evangelist pops up and he says, he scolded him lightly and said, why did you go this other path? And he said, well, worldly wise man told me it was right. He said, no, 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 you got to go back to the path I told you about. Because he said, narrow is the way that leads to life. And he quotes the scripture. And so he goes back and he finds the right path, but that path is not an easy road. You, um, when, where I live, some of you now know where I live, 
Okay, in the middle of nowhere, right? And if somebody were to drive out by my house, the running joke is they're there for a reason. Okay, you don't just drive down my road. Okay, you're either lost or you're coming to somebody's house, but you don't just show up on my road unless you went there for a reason. And this is what this narrow road is. In fact, the word he uses for narrow is uh, the same Greek word for a grape press. A grape press. And you say, well, why is that? Because this road, how many know when you're pressing a grape, you're only looking to squeeze out that one element? Okay, I'm looking to squeeze out that juice of that grape, nothing else. Everything else is waste. I'm squeezing out that one thing. And so when he says take the narrow road, Jesus is saying three things, okay? Number one, he's saying... I thought somebody had a French horn over there. (laughs) I was like, that was very dramatic. (laughs) Sorry. I did pick on her. That's two times in a row I picked on Amanda. I'm sorry. (laughs) But Jesus is contrasting two paths. Okay? And it's really important that when we study this, we contrast them ourselves. Because if we don't contrast the differences between the two, how can we find the narrow one? Right? So he has one that's a narrow gate and a narrow way. Then he has another one that leads to destruction. And destruction, this is the word apple, apoli in the Greek, and it means waste or destruction. When the woman poured the alabaster flask um, on Jesus, they said, why this waste? And it's the same word that he uses for a path that leads to destruction. Um, Another place when Paul talks about the love of money, he said, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It's the same word, 1 Timothy 6, 9. So there are two paths and two destinations, and uh, the person that's talking about these two destinations um, is, some, is, is probably the only person in history that has an intimate knowledge of both destinations. Let me know that's true. Uh, Jesus Christ... Um, In the beginning, he was there, the Bible says. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. Jesus uh, was born as a child, but Jesus, how many know, is eternal. He was there at the beginning, he was there before the beginning, he was eternally existent. And Jesus Christ was there when they created a place called hell. He actually knows all about it. In fact, it says at his resurrection that he that he first uh, went there, and then he then he arose. And so he's somebody that is intimately aware that there is a place called hell, and he talks about it probably more easily than anybody in the Bible. And he also came from where heaven. So Jesus is somebody, 
And you say, well, how do we know that? The reason that we know that is Jesus is the only one that claimed it and proved it. Everywhere that he went, he said, I'm going to die and I'm going to resurrect. And everybody, over 500 witnesses, confirmed to the fact that he died and was resurrected. A lot of people said they would resurrect, but nobody was ever able to resurrect and actually fulfill the prophecies. And so there's a thing in, in, in theology called Christology. Christology is like the deepest study of theology. And it's trying to understand who Jesus is as a person. It's that complicated to understand because he's 100% man, 100% God. And did things that nobody has ever done and there were witnesses over 500. Okay, and not to mention every prophecy was fulfilled in him, and these are 4,000-year-old prophecies. Okay, from the beginning of time till now, every prophecy was fulfilled in him. And Christology is such a theologically deep study. In fact, it's the most divisive and the deepest study you'll have in Christian theology. And by the way, there is no such study of Buddha. As far as I'm aware, there's no Buddhaology. All right? As far as I know, there's no study in Muhammad. There's no study in the theology of who Muhammad is and why that's critical. There's no Muhammadology. Okay? There's no other person that is that critical of a person that you have a study of who they are. And it's that, I mean, 2,000 years of debates and church doctrine over who exactly he is you know and 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 it's because he's so unique and so Jesus is the one that's defining the two destinations and i'm very very glad that he took the time to identify the two destinations because how would you like to find yourself at the judgment seat of Christ and not know that there's a potential i could not make it to heaven that there is another destination, and that's where I'm going. And so I'm glad that Jesus, rightfully, because he had been in both places, knows both places, um, that Jesus was very clear. In fact, let's, let's, let's look at some of the things that he said. He said, um, Mark 9, 45 and 46, he talks about being cast into hell into the fire that will never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9, 45 and 46. Do you know he's actually quoting from Isaiah 66? Isaiah 66 says, And they will go out and look for the dead of those who rebelled against God. The worms will eat that, that eat them and not die, the fire that burns and will not be quenched, and they will be lo- loathsome to all mankind. So Jesus is speaking about this place pretty clearly. How many think if Jesus refers to it so many times, which he does, then I should preach it. I should prepare people that, you know, there is this choice of two destinies, choice of two places, chose of two locations. And we, we've got to um, really examine our walk with the Lord and see if we be in the faith, the Bible says. He says in uh, Matthew 5, 3, the same book, a few chapters earlier, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, what about everybody else? If you're giving the kingdom of heaven to one group, then what's the other people get? He's kind of setting this up, isn't he? And then 520, right before he speaks, he says, he talks to the righteousness. He says, you, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, or you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, if I can't enter the kingdom of heaven, where am I going? Then he continues in the same chapter, otherwise you will have no reward from your Father in heaven, 6.1. Well, if I don't have a reward from my Father in heaven, then where am I going? Then he says in 6.20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then in 7, actually Matthew 25, a little later he says, when the Son of Man talking about himself, comes in glory and all the holy angels with him. He will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from goats. He will set the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom that's prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Awesome. Stop right there. Do you see what he's doing here? He's separating people on the earth into two groups. The first group is the sheep. And it says, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we do this? And he said, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say also to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Remember, he's one who knows. Jesus remembers the rebellion. He remembers that Satan rebelled against God. He remembers that one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven. He remembers when the place was prepared for who? Devil and his angels. So Jesus remembers that. He was actually there. And now he's saying that that other group of people that he's saying, depart from me, they're going to go to the place that was originally not prepared for them. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, and it, but the Bible says hell has been enlarged. God has no desire for anybody to go to hell, but he knows if they reject the one narrow path, that's where they will go. And he says, verse 46, go down a few, uh, another verse that says, and those will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous will enter into eternal life. Church, I'm talking about two paths. I'm talking about 
two gates. I'm talking about two destinies. And what I'm doing here, this isn't a game when we go to church. This isn't let's go play a game and let's listen to worldly wisdom and let's follow the path we all want to follow and do what I want to do and still have eternal life. It's no, I've got to walk a narrow path. I've got to find out exactly what Jesus prescribes for me to get there. And I've got to follow it. And so three things, I actually said three things early and I never said my three things. Number one, there are three choices here that we have to make as I see it here in this story. Number one, he calls us to enter the narrow gate, the one that leads to life. So you enter the narrow gate, but the narrow gate leads to life. Now, Jesus was pretty clear who the gate is. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 9, it says, I am the door. If anybody enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture in me. He told Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except me, through me. How many know that Jesus exclusively said that there's no way to get to the Father except through me. God the Father planned before the foundation of the earth. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit before the foundation of the earth, they determined that the only way to see God, the only way to see heaven, the only way to have eternal life is through this Messiah. And you say, well, wait a minute, man. What what about all these other ways to God? Jesus is the only one that's been in both places. And he says it's very narrow. Do you notice he said in his story, it's a narrow gate. It's like a great squeezing concentrate out. Narrow, (laughs) okay? If you're squeezing grapes and all you have left is skins and you've squeezed all the juice out, He's saying that's very constricted. He's saying the world is going to look at that and they're going to say, that's pretty narrow. That's why he calls it the narrow gate. And so Jesus realizes that it will be rejected because it's so narrow. Yet he still says from the beginning, God determined that it would be through one person, Jesus Christ. And so we must choose We have to choose the narrow gate. That's the first part of it. We have to realize that in Christ Jesus is the only way. And I go back to this 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 boy named Christian carrying this heavy load. And he's saying, how do I get rid of the condemnation of judgment? How do I get rid of sin? How do I get rid of all these things? And all the worldly wisdom is saying, do this, do that. Take psychology. You know, try to be a better person. Turn over a new leaf. Go to a religious place. Do a religious, uh, do some type of religious exercise. And Jesus is saying it's narrow. There's only one path, only one way. And it's not an easy way. You have to get rid of everything that is wrong. You have to get everything on your back 
off of your back. You have to get rid of all philosophy. You have to get rid of all men's wisdom. You have to get rid of all of your own ideas. And it's the only way. But if you do it right, you'll have eternal life. And you say, man, I thought it was simple. Church, it's simple. It's the simplest thing. The Bible says a fool need not make a mistake. Good, it's easy. Jesus is telling us there that it's not easy. He's saying the road is harder than the other road. But I thought you said it was simple. I did. Simple and hard are two totally different things. Simple and easy. There's lots of simple things that are hard to do. But it's simple. Jesus is saying it's simple, but it's hard to do. Why is it hard to do? Because I have pride. Well, I've been like this my whole life. I don't want to go through that narrow door. I want to be myself. You can't go through the narrow door then. Because your pride won't allow it. The door is exactly the size of you and only you. Just as I am. That's not how they, that, that's not what that song means, Chad. It means I can bring everything with me. No, Jesus is saying, leave your philosophy, leave your ideals, leave your pride, leave all that. And there's a door there that's the same size as you. And if you've got a backpack on, you can't make it. So what's in my backpack? Me. I'm proud. I don't worship. I don't bow down to God. I don't uh, forgive people. I don't do these things. And Jesus says, no. This is the way of the cross. Squeeze in there. But I'd have to take my backpack off. That means that my whole philosophy of only serving Jesus and following him, I'd have to give that up. You know, I would have to give up my philosophy that makes me respectable in people's eyes. Well, you know, Chad, he's somebody that really is a man of the world. He understands. Uh, he, he, um, and we have to give up these philosophies. How many know that? And we have to follow the lowliest servant that ever walked on the earth, and we have to go his way. And many people have tried to get in with extra stuff. Extra philosophies, extra ideals, extra pride. And it just didn't work. And it won't work. Because Jesus said you have to enter through Him. You have to die to yourself. See this awesome box? You know what's amazing about this box? I like. I'm going to climb it. I hope I don't fall down. This box has a platform right here. And I actually like this a lot. It's easier to baptize. But here's the other thing. How many know the water baptism is supposed to symbolize your funeral? That I'm dying to myself and I'm rising up in life. And what I like about this is you, you stand in here, right? And you lay down. Oh, boy. And then just like my funeral, I die. And I rise in life. How many know that we have to die to fit in there? 
We have to say, Lord, in fact, what's really fascinating, there's three branches of Christianity. There's the uh, Roman Catholic branch, there's the Eastern Orthodox branch, and there's Protestantism. Those are the three branches. Greek Orthodox is actually really built around, um, there's a lot of things that are left to be desired in Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, but one of the things that's really the focus of is the born-again experience, that Jesus Christ, uh, the image of Christ is being born in us and we have to represent that image of Him. That we have to display the new creation in order to know that we're believers. And so Jesus is saying, number one, the first thing is in order to enter the gate, you literally have to give up all of your ideals and everything and, and die into the life of Christ so you can come alive as a Christian. Christian just means those who are like Christ. And so number one, one of the choices we're making is do we want to enter the narrow gate? And then as we enter the narrow gate, the second thing is he chooses, we have to choose now to walk a more difficult road. And here's the problem. When you live in a country where nobody wants to do anything that's hard, I don't want to do anything hard. You say, well, where does it say that the road is difficult? The other road is, we're contrasting roads here. The other road is paved and beautiful. The ideal they're looking at is a Roman road. All roads lead to Rome that are paved. They're beautiful, wide highways. They're like our interstates, okay? And he's saying, broad is that way. Carry anything you want. Be mad at anybody you want. Have unforgiveness toward anybody you want. Don't be devoted to the Lord in any part of your life. Just say a sinner's prayer. Don't change your life. And you can walk down that broad road and have no problems. But Jesus is not advertising falsely. He said, you know, that road is not exactly paved. It's kind of like that road that leads to my area. Okay, you might have some gravel roads. You might have some potholes. This morning I had to drag a tree out of the road so my family wouldn't run over it. Those kind of roads. How many know what I'm talking about? And Jesus said, this road's a little harder. Well, why is it a little harder? Because now I actually care about my sins. You say, are you perfect? No, that's not the plan. The plan is that I care about my sins. And so now it bothers me when I use profanity. It bothers me whenever I have a bad attitude. It bothers me when I'm not like Christ because I entered into the narrow gate and now I'm willing to walk this road where I actually have to be responsible for my behavior. And so here I am walking on what's called the way. I mean, no, that's what the Christians were called. They were called the way because they went through the narrow gate and now they said, hey, I'm ready to walk the way. And it's going to be a little harder, but praise God, I know where it leads. And Jesus told me this road would be like this. And so we're encouraging one another on that road. We're strengthening one another. 
we're building one another up on that road. And, 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 and here we are on the road. And then the third thing that I believe that Jesus is asking us through this story is, is he's asking us to look and say, who finds it? At the very end it says, few there be that find it. Few there be that find it means many people just won't find it. You know, they'll go through the narrow gate, they'll get on the way, the path, and it's, man, how do I stay on this road and how do I continue to pursue God? In church, the answer is discipline. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say that. Come on, it's all grace, man. Why does the Bible say baptize people into the church and then disciple them? And Jesus said not just to baptize them, he said make disciples throughout the whole world. Well, that word disciple is the word discipline. Discipline. You say, well, what's discipline have to do with it? Discipline means I'm squarely through the narrow gate. I'm walking on the path. And now I've committed myself to discipline myself to stay on the road. Because I'm not disciplined to stay on the road. All right? How many have ever been with somebody that's not a very disciplined driver? It's like, I'll just take this exit. I'll just pass right past this one. You know, look around now. Don't look around. I've seen people looking around. That's not, that's not good. <laughs> but how many know we can be an undisciplined driver? And we want to be a person who's being discipled by Jesus Christ. We want to be there to disciple our brothers and sisters. We want to make sure... Um, what is discipling? Discipling is, man, let's know the Word. Let's learn how to pray. Let's learn how to uh, minister. Let's learn how to pour out. Let's make sure that we're firmly on this road, firmly in this walk, firmly waiting for the day of the Lord to come. And Jesus asks for discipline. Praise the Lord. Nothing is ever achieved without discipline. Just think how many people had potential. I was reading this story. This is an interesting story. Uh, Cambridge had a guy named Coleridge, and, and evidently this guy was brilliant. He was one of the greatest writers of his era. He was a brilliant man, did many incredible things. And listen to this. Never did so great a mind produce so little. He left Cambridge to join the army. He left the army because in spite of all all of the things that he did, he refused to rub down a horse one day. He returned to Oxford and left without his degree again. He began a paper called The Watchman that only went through ten issues and then, and then it stopped. It's been said of him, he lost himself in visions of work to be done. that always remained to be done. Coleridge had every poetic gift beyond anybody. The gift of sustained and concentrated effort is what he did not have. In his head and in his mind, he had all kinds of books he was writing. He himself completed no books for transcription. He said, I am, I am on the eve of a book, he would always say, and sending the press two active volumes. But the books were never completed outside of his mind because he could not face the discipline of sitting down and writing them out. No one ever reached 
less potential than Coleridge. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I intend to do this. I intend to do that. God wants us to be disciplined in our faith. God wants us to be growing in the Word, growing in our prayer life, growing as a church. God wants us to be disciples of Jesus Christ, not just adherents. Hallelujah. God wants us to be active in our church. In fact, uh, Edmund, Edmund Burke was giving a speech to the House of Commons. Listen to this. Afterward, his brother Richard was observing him and in deep in thought. Edmund asked what his brother was thinking. And he said, I'm wondering how it is that you have, con- have received a monopoly on all the talents of our family. But then again, I remember when we were young, when I was playing, you were always at work. Even when a thing was done and appeared to be easy, you were still toiling. The skill of the master on the piano, you were, you were the champion player at the golf course, and I know that it did not come without your sweat. There's never been any other way to greatness than the way of toil. And you say, well, wait a minute, are we earning our salvation? No. I don't believe we're earning our salvation. I believe the grace of Christ is what gives us entrance into heaven. But how many know there is a effort in applying and appropriating the grace of God in your life? There is an effort, there is a discipline in growing in the knowledge of the Lord. If it were just grace and I did nothing, then how would I ever grow in the Lord? Church, we've got to apply ourselves to this walk we have with the Lord and and knowing Him more fully, as Paul said. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. I know there's a lot in there. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Lord, I pray right now for your empowering grace, Lord God. We're unable to do what we're called to do, Lord God, but you are able to pour your grace, Lord God, on your servants. Lord, you're able to empower us from heaven to do what you've called us to do, Lord God. Father, I pray right now for this church and this body, Lord, each heart that's here, Lord. Help us today, Lord. In your name I pray. If you just leave your eyes closed, head bowed. I just want to ask you. There are two destinies that each person has. Unfortunately, every message that I preach is corporate. We're a group, but we're not going to be judged as a group. How many know that? 
we're going to be judged on whether we entered into Christ for our salvation. Did Christ die for you to be saved? And if He did, we've got to commit ourselves to Him as the Lord of our life. And if indeed He's the Lord of our life, we've got to commit ourselves to following His life and being like Christ, which is what it means to be a Christian. And then we've got to begin to receive God's grace. And we need to, I mean, know we need to pray for God's grace to grow and to be poured into our life in the form of discipline. Christian discipline to stay close to God, to know Him more deeply and more fully. I just want to ask you today, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Maybe you never understood Maybe worldly wisdom is what's led you around in your life. I just want to ask you today, if you've never given your heart to the Lord, I want to lead you to the Lord. I want to take you down the right path, the narrow path that leads to eternal life. It'll change your life forever. That's you today and you've never given your heart to the Lord, but you say, today I want to do it. I want to be right with the Lord. I want to lay my head down at night and know that I'm right with the Lord. If that's you, I want to see your hand raise your hand at me. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just wave at me. Anybody here, you've never given your heart to the Lord, but you say, man, i got to do this. I've waited way too long. i got to do it this morning. Maybe your last opportunity if you've never given your heart to the Lord. That's you today. Just wave at me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise. That's you this morning. Maybe you're a Christian and you say, man, you know what? That whole discipline thing, I know that Jesus died for me and it's His grace fully that saves me. But man, I want to be committed to this thing. I want to be fully committed in my heart, my mind, and my soul to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. That's you. Just wave your hand. Just acknowledge. I'm not going to call you up here. Say, Lord, help me. I need, I need your discipline, Lord. I want to grow. I want to be used. I want to apply myself to this. I see those hands all over the place. Praise God. If you need prayer, we're going to be up here. We want to pray for you. If you uh, are a Christian, I encourage you to come up to this altar area. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to make the uh, altar area full. You know? I don't want to be that lonely person that's the only one that thinks the altar area is okay to be at. Alright, so I want to encourage Christians, come up here if you need prayer. We want to pray for you. Maybe you're sick. Maybe emotionally you're struggling. You know, maybe just this whole sin thing. You know, I, man, I've got burdens on me with sin. Or maybe I need to get right with the Lord. Or maybe I'm backslidden. We want to pray for you. That's what we're here for. We've all been in those places. Even recently, some of us. Those uh, slews of despondency, I've been in those. How many have been there? The Bible calls it a miry clay, muddy. And I've been there and I've had to clean myself up and try to make it, you know. And so if you need prayer, we're going to be up here for you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer. Hallelujah. We're still here for prayer if you need prayer. We'll be here as long as you need us to be here. 
Lord, we love you so much, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your spirit in this house, Lord God. Lord, we want more, Lord. We're hungry for more, Lord God. Lord, we long to hear your words, your voice, your desires, your will. Change us, Lord God. Father, more of your presence in this house, Lord God. Oh, Lord, you are in control, not us, Lord. We relinquish any control, Lord. We relinquish our will. We relinquish our desires, Lord God. We line up with your will, your desires, your authority, Lord God, your presence. This is your house, Lord. Bless your people, Lord. Oh, Lord, pour out the windows of heaven and the lives, Lord God. Father, I pray a fresh anointing over everybody in this room. Father, an awareness of your presence. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. Lord, what can we do without your empowerment? What can we do without your grace, Lord? What can we do without your spirit, Lord? Lord, accomplish. Lord, it's like that mountain, Lord God, that's too hard to climb. But by your spirit, Lord, you can do mighty things through your people, Lord. Only by your spirit, Lord. Overflow in your people, Lord. Do mighty things, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.